Even the ones that don't look pretty still taste good, so I don't understand why she threw them away. But most people on some level get excited for Christmas. In, in a general sense, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, you probably at least on some level um, get excited for the Christmas season. But we could live without it, right? At least from a commercial perspective, we could live without the lights, we could live without the presents, especially having to buy them. We could live without the busyness. There's a, uh, there's a John Grissom novel called Skipping Christmas that also became the movie Christmas with the Cranks. Maybe you've seen it. The, the novel is based around this couple that decides to skip Christmas. They figure out how much the money that they spend on different things and, and you know, donations and buying a tree and all of the things that seem to come with Christmas and presents, they figure out that it costs enough for them to, if they skipped Christmas and took that money and reapplied it, to go on a 10-day luxury cruise. And so they decide to, to leave on Christmas Day and go on this cruise, and they're just no, no Christmas. They're, they're quitting cold turkey. Um, and they live in this neighborhood uh, that is extremely festive. All the houses have a certain decorations that's the same, and everybody goes crazy, and if you don't, everybody's in your business about it. And so it becomes this big deal. But for some of us, some years, we'd say, you know what, the idea of skipping Christmas completely... Kind of sounds like a plan. Let's skip Christmas and go on a cruise, right? It's a great time of year, but it's also a busy and expensive time of year for a lot of us. And it's possible that you could get to the point where you say, you know what, who really needs Christmas? Who needs this? I'm glad you asked, because over the next three weeks, we're going to answer that question three times. Who needs Christmas? But we're going to approach this question not from the busyness and spending side of Christmas, but from the true meaning of Christmas, in fact, the story of Christmas. You see, believe it or not, one of the most challenging things about the Christmas season for a lot of people is the Christmas story. If you grew up in the church, it may not be challenging for you anymore, but, but think about the birth of Jesus. It's pretty miraculous. It's pretty unbelievable. It's pretty remarkable. And if you didn't already believe it, or if you were hearing it for the first time, I think you and I would have to admit that it might not be easy to just swallow it as fact. I know pe most people celebrate Christmas on some level, but there are a lot of people who don't believe the story of Jesus' birth. It's possible they figure that somewhere along the line, someone wanted an excuse for a holiday, and a lot of our holidays are religious-based. So, hey, let's just say, here's when Jesus was born, let's get a week off from school. It's possible that they figure at some point someone had to make up a story to make Jesus' birth more impressive, so he himself would seem more impressive. I don't know what people that don't believe the story actually think. I grew up in the church, and I've always been taught and believed that Christmas is about the miraculous birth of Jesus, and it was definitely that miraculous. And so I don't, I don't understand necessarily people who don't believe that, but I know that they're out there, and they may even have good reasons. But here's the truth. If someone could predict their own death, and their own resurrection, and Jesus did, I'm not so sure that I'm going to get super hung up on the story of how he came into the world, the details of how he came into the world. Just so we're clear today, Christianity is not so dependent on the birth of Jesus as any basis for belief as it is on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes we throw this, this, all this focus at the birth and the details surrounding it, which is fine, but sometimes we do that more in the death and resurrection. And I'm not saying that the birth of Jesus isn't important, but I am saying without the death and resurrection of Jesus, what are we even doing here today? 
That being said, he could not have died without first having been born. And that's what we celebrate this season. So I want you to understand that there are times where you may get into a conversation with someone where they are hung up on some of these details. That's okay. Not everybody's going to always agree 100% on the details. But if Jesus still died and rose from the dead, then that doesn't really change anything for us. So this story, it doesn't actually begin with the angel appearing to Mary. That's often where we first start the Christmas story. It actually begins with a couple that are worried they'll never get pregnant. And by starting with where the story really starts here, I hope that what we'll realize is that more than being unbelievable, the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' birth, is truly remarkable. Because it started with a promise, a ridiculously impossible, unbelievable promise. Like there's no way this promise should have come true, and yet this is the promise that sets up the events around Christmas. And actually, when you look at the Christmas story from this starting point, from this promise, and you looked at at everything that happened from that promise until the birth of Jesus, it it actually makes the birth of Jesus and all that was with it, all that miraculous stuff, much more believable. Somewhere in the vicinity of 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus, we find this promise recorded in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, we're not sure why God chose Abram, who would eventually be called Abraham, any more than we're sure why God chose Mary and Joseph. You know, we say that God works in mysterious ways, like it's some cliche phrase, but it also happens to be true. But think about what God tells Abram here. Leave everything you know, which is super dangerous because safety in ancient times had everything to do with who your clan and your tribe and your family were. Being with them was part of what kept you safe. If you left everything you knew, you were suddenly in danger. He says, I will make you a great nation, which is fine, except that Abraham's about 75 years old at this point. And he has no children. He has no heir, which was everything back then. And so great nation sounds fine, but Abram would probably settle for somebody to call him dad or grandpa because he's never had that. And God says, I will bless you and make your name great, which sounds nice because who doesn't like the idea of being known? Of being known. But I imagine Abraham said, no, with no heir comes no legacy, which means I will soon be forgotten. And God says, you will be a blessing, which is strange because in that time, They lived in a violent culture, and you didn't do anything to bless anyone except maybe your own family. And God says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. God's saying, Abram, I will be a part of your story, and you'll be a part of my story. I'll be with you and your people down through the generations. And yes, Abram, there will be generations until this story is completed, and nothing will stop me. And then things just get crazy because God says, that all people will be blessed through Abram, that everyone who ever lives in some way will be touched by his life. And even if Abram could swallow everything up to that point, he's got to be going, nah, this is not possible. This is not something that could happen. 
That's what I would be thinking, at least. And yet we read this about Abram's response in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem, and there he set up camp beside the oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. You see, despite the fact that this was a ridiculous request, despite the fact that all of those things that God promised to Abram seemed impossible, Abram picked up and left. He obeyed. He did what was told. He chose to believe the unbelievable, to trust God and his promise. And eventually, Abraham and Sarah did have a son. And his name was Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And suddenly that I, I don't have any descendants thing isn't such a big deal anymore because that's exponential descendant growth there. Those 12 sons lead to the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and even though at a certain point they, they become slaves as a nation of people, maybe that was still part of the plan. But after hundreds of years, the unbelievable was believable. And they could talk about Father Abraham because they were all his descendants. They were the result of the promise that God gave them. But then again, like I said, they ended up enslaved, and in the midst of being enslaved, you have to wonder, what were they thinking? Is it possible that God will really bless the whole world through us? Because it seems unlikely where we currently are. Could God really use a bunch of slaves to bless the world? Is that really possible? And then God sends a, a deliverer. He sends Moses. And the people are freed from slavery and they travel until they reach the promised land, the land of Canaan. And with God's help, they claim the land for Abraham's descendants and they become the nation of Israel. And things have certainly not been perfect up to this point. If you read through the Old Testament, <coughs> you see a lot of this story that wasn't going smoothly. And yet if you read the entirety of the Old Testament, you still see the plan in motion. And now as a nation, especially when King David takes the throne, he himself, who was a descendant of Abraham, they're, they're a nation living in relative peace. They are finally in a position to do something to impact the world. And David's son Solomon, he's so wise. He expands the kingdom to the point that people would come from all over the place to listen to his wisdom and to see his amazing construction and the growth of his nation. And here was this huge opportunity to really be that blessing to the rest of the world, but why Solomon makes an unwise series of decisions. And he marries the daughters of foreign nations, and, and he even begins to worship some of the gods of those foreign nations. You see, God made a promise to Solomon too, and he kept it in 1 Kings chapter 9, beginning of verse 6. It says this, But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey the commands and decrees I have given you, and if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot Israel from this land that I have given them. I will reject this temple that I have made holy to honor my name. I will make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled and will gasp in horror. And they will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be because his people abandoned the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt. 
and they worshipped other gods instead and bowed down to them. That is why the Lord has brought all these disasters on them. You see, Solomon did what he was told not to do. And the nation was basically torn apart, split in half even. Divided economy, divided military, and for the next couple hundred years, it was basically chaos. It was basically chaos. There were invasions and exiles. The occasional God-fearing king, this occasional moment of hope, but mostly not-so-God-fearing kings. And in the midst of all of this, all this chaos, all this lost opportunity, it probably seemed like things couldn't get any worse. It probably seemed like God was very far away, and yet God sends a prophet named Isaiah, who speaks for God, and he says this in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, he says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Remember, Isaiah speaks for God here, and God's saying, you will do more than restore my people to me. It will go farther than that. You see, prior to this, there was no thought that God cared nor wanted anything to do with those who were outside of the nation of Israel, with those who were outside of the Jewish faith, with those who were known as Gentiles. And here Isaiah, speaking for God, says, despite the fact that you, the nation of Israel, has not cared much for those outside, you're about to care a little more. Now things do get worse from this point for another 300 years or so, 300 years of chaos is a lot. Much of Jerusalem was destroyed, and just as God said, Solomon's beautiful temple was destroyed. And in the midst of this continued chaos, God sends another prophet, Malachi, this time. And I wonder what the people really thought when the prophet spoke, because things were bad. Like, this was not good. When your temple and most of your main city, the center of your nation are destroyed, things aren't good. And it's hard to believe that God's still even a part of this. Things were so much worse than anything words we have described to describe them convey. But Malachi says this, and remember he's speaking for God. In Malachi chapter 1 verse 11, he says this for God, but my name will be honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world they will offer sweet incense. Pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And you can imagine the people. Listen, everybody outside of here thinks you're a joke. Everybody outside of here is mocking us because of our God. Your name is not so great right now because your nation is a mess. And to some, it probably looked like the God of Israel couldn't even take care of the people of Israel. So why would he be talking about the other nations? Let's stop pretending there's, there's greatness coming because life kind of stinks for us. How will we bless other nations when we're barely a nation ourselves? And it really was at that point, like, they barely were a nation anymore. The, the promise was fun while it lasted, but it had to end here, I'm assuming, that they felt that way. Because Israel was on the verge of being no more, and there was no way that nations could be blessed through Abraham. This was the end of the line. It really seemed hopeless, which is part of what makes the story of Christmas so amazing. Because when things were as hopeless as it seemed they could be, when God's promise to Abraham was as out of reach as it could possibly be, that's when God 
moved to action. Later on, looking back over this, uh, the Apostle Paul, he's putting this whole story together in his mind, and he ends up writing these words in Galatians chapter 4. And I love the way he phrases it. He says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, and subject to the law. But when the right time came, in other words, when God had everything just the way he wanted it, and for whatever reason, and so many reasons, this was the right time. When most, if not all, had given up on the promise from generations to generations, God would fulfill this unbelievable promise that he made to Abraham all those generations ago. When no one was expecting it, God sent an angel to a place called Nazareth. You see, there's so many stories in Scripture where we see if if God had moved in the way that he moves any earlier, it's possible somebody else might have tried to take the credit. If God hadn't waited until things were just right, it's possible that, that, that it wouldn't have turned out the way that it was. I believe that God is very good, despite the fact that he is not constrained by time in dealing with our timing. And at just the right time, he sent this angel to a place called Nazareth. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, we read this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I guarantee that you've heard that before. But don't miss the phrasing there. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. This child, this son, would be in the line of David. Who was in the line of Abraham himself. And in that moment, suddenly, the lost promise that God had made to Abraham, was not so lost anymore. And much like Abraham didn't understand exactly what it was that God was doing, it wasn't super clear. Mary was confused and had doubts. And yet, in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, we read this. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Doubt and confusion didn't stop Abraham from obeying. He picked up and left exactly what God called him to do, and it didn't stop Mary from obeying. She said, may what you've said come true. And the promise remains. And as it turns out, all the nations truly would be blessed through Abraham. Israel would, in fact, be a light to the Gentiles. From that part of the world, God sent Jesus, and through his life, and through his teaching, and through his death, and through his resurrection... That part of the world became a light to the rest of the world. Jesus was born as a part, really as the most important part to this point of the promise that God had made to Abraham. And you would be hard-pressed today to find someone who's never, ever heard of Abraham. And while Abraham certainly had doubts about whether he would be known, 
He did what God asked of him and it came true. And while we said that the Christmas story is unbelievable, at the same time, one thing that makes it believable is looking at the entirety of the story. Because is it possible that someone would have made this entire story up? When you step back from it, I can't imagine that they could see it in the middle or they wouldn't have lost faith so often. But when you step back from the entirety of the story, from Abraham's promise to the birth of Jesus, and you look at it, even though things weren't always seemingly on track, God was still clearly working in the background. People lost sight. People lost track. People couldn't see exactly what God was doing. And yet when we see the entirety of the story from our perspective, he was clearly there getting the world ready for the thing he ultimately decided to do once sin entered the world. The Christmas story really did begin 2,000 years before the first Christmas, and it continues to unfold today. And so if the question to be asked is, so who needs Christmas? Well, God decided that the world needed Christmas. And the Christmas story. All that God did over all of that time would change the world and continues to change our lives today. Salvation is only available. We have a way to come back to God. All that is available in spite of the sin that separates us because of the entirety of this story. Because God decided I'm going to make a way for them to come back to me in spite of their sin. You see, if the entirety of the story doesn't remind us that God is active, and I think sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes as we walk through our day-to-day lives and and we're super busy and things happen and and we do live in a world that seems to be dark a lot of the time, we, we wonder how close God is and we worry that God is far away. And sometimes we feel that God has gone silent. Really, God, God hasn't gone anywhere. It's usually us that has distanced ourselves, but, but we worry about that and we wonder about that. If this story doesn't remind us that God is active when it seems like he's not, that just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's still. And I don't think we've listened to this story. I don't think we've studied this story enough. Throughout all the ups and downs of the history of the nation of Israel, all the way up through the book of Malachi and into the New Testament, God never strayed from the plan. The plan to show that that he still cared about his people. And that he was making a way for them and for us to spend eternity with him. It's an up and down story, but it's a story that's really about hope. Hope that we would not otherwise have. Hope sent in the form of of a baby born in Bethlehem all those years ago. Because God decided that the world needed Christmas. As it turned out, it wasn't just the world uh, that needed Christmas. God needed Christmas too, and we'll pick that up right there next Sunday. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your promise to Abraham. Because we know what it led to. 
We know that today, because of that promise you made to him and everything that came after it, that that's why Jesus came. And then when he died for our sins on that cross, he made a way. But you made a way for us to spend eternity with you. Something we simply could not have had. Forgiveness we could have never gotten on our own. Because you love us. God, we're thankful you stuck to the plan. I pray that we wouldn't forget in the moments where you seem far away or you seem silent that you're there and you're working in our lives. God, I pray that this Christmas season we could see you at work and if we have the opportunity to share your light and your love with the people around us that we wouldn't miss those opportunities. Tell this story of that amazing promise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.